Hi, welcome to the Japan Travel Podcast. Japan Travel Podcast, hey, yo, Koso. And best wishes for the end of this hot summer if you live in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm your host, Sébastien Duval, in Tokyo on the 31st of August 2022. And this episode 8 about people to know features a Singaporean Jerome Lee who lived in Australia and Japan, worked with me in Tokyo, and was mentioned as a travel expert in the Japan Times. Today, he compares Japan and Singapore, introduces his company Four Winds, which provides online tours, he shares his thoughts about luxury, hobby, and inclusive trips in Japan. And of course, he tells us about his best tourism memories in Kamikochi, Naoshima, and Yakushiva. Check the notes to see how to contact or follow him. And big thanks to our remote intern, Jesse, who helped behind the scenes with ideas and sound editing. Hi, Jerome. Nice to see you today. Hi, Sebastian. Thanks for having me. Why did you come to Japan? That's a great question. I wanted an experience of working in a different country. Singapore is very safe. I know what to expect, but I wanted a different experience. The first time I went to Japan was with friends in January 2013. I loved it. Decided, you know, right after graduation, one day I just decided on a whim that I wanted to aim for Japan. So I got started on that journey. I began to study Japanese, tried to make connections with as many people as possible. And it so happened that I managed to chance upon Japan travel when they first launched the internship. So I applied for it. I got it. And yeah, that set the journey for my time in Japan. You didn't have any plan to stay a long time in Japan initially. My initial concern was to just get to Japan and then see how it goes. It might be a long-term thing. It might be a short-term thing where I do it for a few years and I come back to Singapore. I'm back in Singapore now, but you know, who's to say in the future I might go back to Japan again. How long have you been in Japan? Five years. Four and a half years in Tokyo. Three months traveling around and then the remaining three months at a ski lodge right in the middle of Nagano and Niigata prefectures. Relatively close from Tokyo? If you were to take a bullet train from... Tokyo, it would be about 1.5 hours, I believe, to Nagano Station. And then you do all this traveling by bus, by car, by taxi after that. I would say a two to two and a half hour journey. Now you're back in Singapore. How is the yes, weather? Oh my goodness, it's <laughs> so warm and humid. Singapore only has two seasons, summer and torrential rain. So, and, and torrential rain comes within a, within a span of an hour. Why did you move back to Singapore? It was the end of my working visa. I thought that maybe I should go back to Singapore for a while because my niece was born about one and a half years ago and I didn't want to miss out on her growing up. I wanted a kind of change of direction, a change of environment. What do you do now in Singapore? I work as a freelance content creator for a company called Closet. One of their major clients is the Japan National Tourism Organization, the Singapore branch. Is it articles you write for a website or is it for Facebook mm -hmm. or is it mm -hmm. advertising like catchphrases? I do quite a bit of the Facebook captions, like all the Facebook posts that you see along with the image asset have to do mm -hmm. with some mm -hmm. of the coming of the topics of the Facebook, but also I help working on EDMs, the email newsletters that, that they sent out. I also help to write some articles on the Singapore branch on the GNTO website as well, coming up like various topics. I work with my direct report at Closet to decide on a topic to see what would be relevant for the Singapore audience and also what the Singapore branch of GNTO wants to feature. I've also ventured into setting up a small company called Four Winds. Basically, we run virtual travel experiences, uh, not just in Singapore, but also in Europe. It's my first step towards entrepreneurship. I think my exports at Ben Travel taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. And so I thought, you know, that... If I don't try it now, I'll never try it. People exactly. can check your website by uh, checking the link in the notes of the show. That's correct. And you do virtual tours. So 
I think in our company, we started to do that during the pandemic and we do only Japan. Your company, you don't do Japan, but you do we a few do countries. Yes. So what countries do you do? Mainly Singapore, but we also do Italy, France, UK. I'm trying to get into Australia at the moment. Your clients, I think, are mostly in America because of the Amazon Explore current setting. Is it mostly night tours? Because there is this huge time difference with America. Mm. How do you organize mm. your business? It so happens that what Amazon Explore calls prime time for them is their night time, which means that morning time in Singapore. So I do all the tours in the morning and it coincides with them like getting off work and maybe want to do mm -hmm. and maybe for them wanting to travel a little bit online as a way of like relaxing after work. So okay. the timing is just nice. How did you find mm. guides in Italy, in the UK? Mm. For Singapore, you do some of them yourself and you yes. have people you know. But mm. for the other countries, how do you find people? On LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, you know, LinkedIn is a great way to okay, connect yeah. with uh, people, uh, local guides or like, you know, students uh, studying tourism. Honestly, LinkedIn has been a very valuable resource. You're looking for somebody in Australia now? I am in talks for someone in Australia, but I could always use more guests in Australia. <laughs> People you can connect to Jerome via LinkedIn and the link will be also in the show notes. If you're in Australia, you're a guide and you're interested in that kind of stuff. Let's put the work a bit aside. Sure. Now that you're back, mm. what are you happy you got back? Ooh. If I went to France, I would be very happy to have some foods, for example. How is oh, it? <laughs> yes, I can imagine. One of the things that I miss about Singapore while uh, when I was living in Japan, of course, you know, is the food. Tokyo is amazing for food. And there's so many options available. But the Singaporean food that's available in Tokyo, just in terms of like the authenticity and things like this, you can't compare to the ones in Singapore. So being back in Singapore, I'm very happy to be able to not just go to any hawker center. That's what we call in Singapore a hawker center, which is like a consolidation of like various food stalls, cheap and delicious. You pay 500 yen for a bowl of noodles and it's amazing. So I have easy access to that. And also to be able to enjoy taking a ride share equivalent of Uber and Lyft in the United States. In Tokyo, I didn't really take a lot of cabs because it was so expensive. But then now, you know, back in Singapore, it's like a quarter of the price. So like, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, taxi in Japan is really, really nice. Oh, shit. tell me about Service it. Service is oh. good, but it's... Um... No, it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But every time I pay like 6,800 yen for a taxi, I'm like, ah, you know, like I can't <laughs> deal with that price. It's approximately $70 or 70 euros. The exchange rate has been changing a lot this year, oh. but let's say that's what we had last year. And is there something you miss? from Japan? I definitely miss my independence, being able to live alone. I miss the boundless scenery in Japan. I'm a hiking and a snowboarding fan, so I used to go on hikes like pretty often in nearby Tokyo via a day trip. I also really miss eating sukemen. There's sukemen in Singapore, but nothing really compares to the ones in Japan. Oh, I miss that, you know, that mochiri kind of texture of the noodles. Sorry, mochiri means a bit of a chewiness, a mm -hmm. bit of like the mochi texture, and then just dipping it in a really salty niboshi broth. Oh, amazing. For listeners who really don't know about Japanese food, sukemen is ramen noodles that mm -hmm. you eat after dipping in a thread bowl. And typically, it's that very, very strong soup. You can put with ingredients that are on the side, some seaweed, yes. nori, bamboo shoots, menma. And for people who are eating whatever they want, there would be uh, some kind of grilled pork, right? The grilled pork is uh, the most Maybe <laughs> eggs, these kind of things. But you can find stuff for vegans too. You need mm. to plan, but there is food really for everybody. And that's a type yeah. of food I really like a lot. You lived in uh, Japan a long time, which allowed you mm. to travel a lot. 
what was your best travel experience in Japan? There are many, but if I have to list one, then it would be the three months that I spent at the ski lodge Madarao Kogen. It's mm-hmm. between uh, Nagano and Niigata prefectures. It's an up-and-coming ski destination that receives a ton of powder snow that rivals the one at Niseko in Hokkaido. For those who don't know, Niseko is seen as one of the best places in Japan to go snowboarding or skiing. Working at the lodge there, being able to be helping to run the lodge operations while spending my off day snowboarding and getting to know the people there and being able to go around Nagano Prefecture. Beautiful. It was, it was one of my best memories. Your colleagues were Japanese or they were foreigners? The other colleague I had was Japanese, and the two owners that owned the lodge were actually Dutch. So what's yeah. the name of the ski lodge? Japan Snowsport. Their website is uh, jpsnowsports.com. They don't only run a lodge, they run ski school as well, a bakery and also private dining. So they're very uh, entrepreneurial. You would recommend that for what kind of travelers? I would definitely recommend it for a bit more luxurious people who want to be comfortable and, you know, who want homemade breakfast. I think the prices are really reasonable, really accessible from Tokyo as well. So I definitely recommend to take them out. Okay, let's move to your worst experience. Did you have any terrible experience in Japan? I wouldn't call it that, but I would say that there are some places not as beautiful as it's said to be. You know? So for example, Tabae City in Fukui Prefecture, they put a spectacle factory there as their main attraction, which is amazing. But It's extremely famous for Japanese people. Yeah. It, it's very famous for Japanese people, but it's hard to tell a tourist to visit a spectacle factory on their holiday. What is your favorite taste in Japan? I don't know what kind of sake it is. It definitely had a stronger taste than most of the sakes that I tried in Japan. And it was poured over vanilla bean ice cream. And the sake was a mm. little bit on the sweeter side. And this was at a sake specialty store that's kind of like a nestle in between uh, the Dogenzaka area of Shibuya, you know, where all the love hotels are. Yep. Yeah, uh, but it was at like a sake specialty store. That was amazing. I've never thought of sake being poured into ice cream. I mean, we've heard of alcoholic ice cream, but I just never thought of that combination. And it was beautiful. After the taste, what's your favorite smell? Hinoki. Uh, what's it called in English? Cypress, is it? Cypress, like, yeah. Cypress wood. Yeah, I mean, especially when you step into a Japanese home that has that smell of hinoki. Oh, it's very invigorating. I, I love it. Hinoki is a species of cypress that's native to mm. Japan. Mm. And it's been used in many places to give a special feeling. For example, if you want to go see no theater, typically they use hinoki tree. Some of the bath, so you get with the hot water, the smell of the mm. tree, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, it is. I read somewhere Osaka Castle also uses lots of cypress. One of the most famous shrines in Japan, Ise Jingu, is made using hinoki. And I think they rebuild the building every 20 years. Mm, okay. It's used because it has a very nice smell. But why mm-hmm. is it used in buildings like this too? You know? You uh, know? No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> it doesn't rot much. So it really resists oh, a lot to okay. humidity and time, which is good because in Japan we have rainy seasons, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, next yeah. thing. Uh, what's your favorite sound of Japan? I know this is going to sound a bit strange, but I actually really like the sound of the traffic lights. Uh, well, in, that's really in strange. Tokyo. Yeah, yeah it's, no, I know. No, I can't. I know, I'm generally quite a strange person. Like everyone in Japan will probably know, like, what the hell is I would trust person? you for the food, but the answer now yeah. for the sound is kind of unexpected, right? It's, a, it's very catchy. There's this one particular tune. If you've gone to Kawaguchiko, they play it there. It's supposed to resemble some song that's played on Japanese reality TV or something mm-hmm. else. I can't remember. I don't think I should sing it because uh, I probably butcher it. So no. <laughs> yeah. But traffic light sounds are actually pretty memorable for me. 
Uh, for people mm. who don't know, Kawaguchiko is one of the lakes near Mount Fuji. And I never paid attention to the sound of traffic lights. I don't know if they are different all over Tokyo or the country. I've really no idea. But mm -hmm. train stations in Japan have different sounds. So when the train yeah. stops just before starting, so you know you have very few seconds to get into the train. Oh, uh, yeah. That's they right. have their yeah. own sound. And mm -hmm. I used to live in Tokyo near Waseda. So I was spending a lot of time in Takada mm -hmm. Nombaba, which was one of the closest big stations. Oh, okay. And music there was very famous because it's the music of the anime of Atom. Mm. So I thought that was Atom. really, really cute. I see. You, you I don't see. know? It's a cute small robot. No, I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. I will share a link with you later and okay. you can have a look. I'm sure you know it. Sure, sure. Actually, I was going to say that uh, there's another memorable sound for me, and that is the operator sound on board the Yamanote line in Tokyo. In fact, I can mimic the operator pretty well. Uh, I, I don't think I have to do it on the podcast, <laughs> but like, if anyone's interested, you know, they can always like DM me and like I'll do it, but not, not on this podcast, but it's because it's, it's really funny. Yeah. And especially when the operator mentions the name Takana no Baba. Yeah. It's even like, it sounds very robotic and I can mimic that voice pretty well. So <laughs> Let's move to a slightly different topic. I think you have been promoting Japan your mm. first years here, right? So mm. what volunteer or um, freelance activities have you done? Mm. I volunteered at a startup company called uh, Social Innovation Japan that... Uh, yep, I know uh, that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Social Innovation Japan, they are dedicated to fostering the conversation about social innovation within companies and social progression. So the three founders are people that I know and That's I'm acquainted Robin, with as well. Keiko and Mariko. And Mariko, I've yeah, met yeah. all of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Keiko is actually one of my closest friends in Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a wonderful person. And of course, so is uh, Robin and Mariko as well. But yeah, like I volunteered and helped to, you know, like with the organization of the event and things like this. And it was quite a few times when I first arrived in Japan back between March 2016 to 2017. In terms of tourism activities, I didn't do much uh, volunteer work, but there's an annual dance event that happens on Omote Sando in Tokyo. It's called the Yosakoi, and they have dance battalions from all over the country compete in there. And I'm pretty sure I volunteered there as well. You volunteered to dance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't volunteer to dance. <laughs> I, 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 like, I'm not a professional dancer. Oh, you as a staff like... helping. I'm like, mm, 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 they kind of dance at the club, but then that's it, you know. Like, I can't dance professionally like them, you know. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not Japanese Beyonce or anything. <laughs> you didn't help particularly promote tourism in Japan, but you were mm. doing other stuff, of which course. is fine. And for people to know, Social Innovation Japan, one of the projects they did was to create an app and a service called MyMizu, yeah. which helps people find spots to refill their water for free. Yeah. And I'm using that app. And recently, they have reached a milestone. They have found their 2,000th partner shop providing yeah. water for free in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I saw it. I followed them really on. It's really impressive. Japan does use a lot of plastic. So yeah. I think, you know, this initiative definitely helps. You know, it's, a, it's one that, you know. the plastic bottles. Yeah, it really helps to put a focus on, you know, how much plastic waste is being created in Japan. So I think it's a fantastic initiative. You have been working as a travel agent in Japan. Mm. So there is one mm. question I really want to ask because I try to make this podcast useful for very diverse travelers and travel agents too. Sure. So what are your impressions about inclusive tourism and hospitality in Japan? Firstly, I have to give uh, Japan all the credit for hospitality, not just in tourism and or, you know, the hospitality industry. But service in, is wonderful in Japan. Yeah, yeah, service is wonderful in yeah. Japan. And yeah. all, like every aspect, 
what Japanese call omotenashi and people with mobility issues. I think that the infrastructure that's in place to help these people are definitely there. If you look at stations, there are lifts and there are racks that signal where the lifts are. For other aspects, so for example, things such as tourism that's geared towards like Muslim people, there's an effort to help to cater to the travelers, allow restaurants, cafes. Of course, you know, Tokyo being the capital of Japan, those facilities are most evident there, but it has not exactly spread to other parts of the country yet, especially like yeah, rural areas. I would say that there is an effort to be made, but work it's, in progress. It's, it's, yeah, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. LGBT people don't have problems booking regular hotel rooms, but I've heard stories of same-sex couples who want to book a room in a love hotel, but they were rejected just purely by the fact that they were same-sex. What advice would you have for mm. tourists from abroad, whether they have mm. a special situation like uh, yeah. having a wheelchair or absolutely not, like generic travelers? I can't speak for people who are limited in their ability to travel, but enjoy the best of what Japan has to offer. Be open to new experiences, meeting new people. I personally, I love to travel solo. I love to just book my flight and accommodation and just leave everything else to the chance. Maybe I'll book a tour on the day before, or I would go out and have a drink at a bar, things like this. And being a good listener also helps in terms of making friends. Don't always be the talker. You always be the, you know, listening to people and the stories and things like this. I mean, I say that and I'm doing most of the talking now, but uh, I promise uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm quite a good listener. <laughs> How did you get your first job in Japan exactly? I think you did an internship first. What happened mm -hmm. after? After the internship, I came back to Singapore and I worked a full-time job for about three months, but it wasn't the right fit. And then I got in contact with the CEO of Japan Travel. Terry uh, Lloyd. Uh, mm -hmm. Terry, Terry Lloyd. It was really a point where I, you know, had to take no chances at all. Just like, you know, tap on my connections. Terry offered something in Singapore where I'll be working remotely to develop a business okay. for Japan travel. Mm -hmm. uh, that was October 2014. And that continued on to March 2016. So about for one and a half years before he offered to transfer me up to Tokyo. I moved to Japan in uh, March 2016 and it has been an amazing seven years. Very, very thankful for Terry to have uh, kindly offered to bring me up to Japan. I think, I yeah. think he was happy with you too. He has good that eye for finding people who have different profile and that have potential mm. to bring great value in their own way. Yeah, but also he did as a business owner. He's also about taking risk and he took a chance on me, which I really appreciate. And yeah, I couldn't really have gotten where I am now without him as well. In the company that was mm. mostly as a travel agent and director of the, let's say, travel agency department of Japan mm -hmm. Travel KK, anything you want to say about that? I definitely learned how to be a good leader and how to manage a huge team of people. I've never in my life thought that I would manage 28 people. I definitely had to learn how to be understanding more, to really value the opinions of my colleagues. And how was life in Japan, let's say, quality of life? We had that discussion mm. with Brian. He said quality of life is so much better in Japan than what mm. you would have had in America. How oh, is it compared okay. to Singapore? Singapore, we enjoy a high quality of life, definitely on par with Japan. We're fast, we're efficient. The prices, you know, if you look at different things, it all comes down to be about quite similar in terms of prices. It was a smooth transition in terms of that. You lived here, so putting work aside, you had your weekends, you had a few trips. 
what did living in Japan enable you to do compared to somebody who comes back again and again and again on weekends or on one-week trips to Japan? Living in Japan, you have such easy access to new places all the time. So you're given the luxury of time to research these places and just not go to that place on a whim. For example, if you're on a Tuesday and then your free time, you Google a place and like, oh, this is really interesting. For example, like, oh, Tokyo Game Show is happening soon. I yep, can just go to yep. Tokyo Game Show this weekend. <laughs> That's a luxury that's not afforded by people who come here time and again because it's money and time spent for them to travel all the way to Japan. Whereas if you're in the country, you can just go just like that. And did you enjoy festivals too? Because I think that one of the advantages you're always there when there is something, you don't have to plan mm -hmm. your holidays on specific time, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, festivals are some of the best in Japan. Yeah. And there are some really quirky festivals as well. And your trips in Japan, what did you do? Uh, my trips in Japan definitely involved a bit of eating. <laughs> I'm, I'm Just a, big a bit? Yes. Uh, actually, no, <laughs> a lot of eating. <laughs> uh, definitely some hiking. I've hiked Mount Fuji like three times. <laughs> it was, no, this was within like a space of like three years, like once a year. I just enjoyed like being in the nature of Japan and things like this. A bit of cycling as well. I'm not a professional cyclist. Casual cycling that I really enjoy. And snowboarding is a, is a sport that I picked up when I was in Japan. I started off learning at Shiga Kogen in Nagano Prefecture. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, Shiga Kogen is the largest ski resort in Japan. And the courses there are beginner to intermediate. So it's a good practicing ground. I fell in love with it. And I have to go back at least once every season to do it. And then it culminated to, you know, me spending three months in Madarao Kogen. Yep, that was yep. amazing. And what were your, let's say, top three tourism memories in Japan? We have hiking in Kamikochi. So Kamikochi is located an hour away from Matsumoto City in Nagano Prefecture. Beautiful place. It's the start of the hikes that lead up to the Japan Alps. But within Kamikochi itself, you can do it for a one-day hike. It's just beautiful. So loaded with nature and the sight of the Japanese Alps in the background. Water's like flowing, the calm, and the little stores that they have for food there. It's incredible. And it's just very, you know, you know how the Japanese have this term called Shinrin Yoku, where they do forest bathing, right? Yeah, for, or forest yeah. therapy. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, forest bathing. And you can definitely experience that in Kamikochi. It's, it's very rejuvenating. So not too many people around? Or That's just at the question. starting point and when you're starting to hike, there are not so many people? Yeah, so at the starting point, a lot of people. But if you progress, then it's less people. And you can definitely find pockets of space where you're just by yourself. It's definitely well spaced out for people to enjoy. And your second best? Wandering around Naoshima, a renowned like uh, art island. Specifically, there are three buildings built by a Japanese architect called Tadao Ando. I think his main office is in Osaka. His three museums, you know, the Benesi House, which you can stay at. There's also the Liyufan Museum and the Chichu Art Museum. One of the really create art projects that it's called the Naoshima Art House Project where they revitalize old houses in Naoshima by installing art in them. And you know, just going around looking at the artworks there is amazing. And I, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but I was wondering around Naoshima, right? I saw someone exiting from the museum and like yeah, they didn't really stand out to me about anything. But as the person got closer, I realized that it was a friend from Australia. <laughs> a friend from Australia actually <laughs> traveled all the way to Naoshima just to see that. And we like we both got a complete shock of our lives and we saw each other. We were like, what are you doing here? And then yeah. I did meet a friend from Alaska at uh, probably it was Narita Airport and she, she was living <laughs> she was living in Australia at the time. She was just oh transferring. So yeah, sometimes we have this kind of encounters with people just we wild know. Like, Why are you here? Like <laughs> Japan is just on everyone's mind.
for listeners, Naoshima, maybe you don't know the name, but you saw a photo of some kind of big pumpkin, mm -hmm. and that was this area. I think you can't see it now because of a typhoon that damaged the artwork. Yeah. But there is really a lot of things to see. I've not been there, so you have to trust Jerome. Another good memory, last one. Mm, hiking Yakushima. Yeah, so Yakushima is a four-hour regular ferry ride from Kagoshima, which is the very southernmost prefecture of the mainland Japan. Very invigorating, maybe even better than Kamikochi. But also for those who don't know, Yakushima is the place which inspired the Studio Ghibli film, Princess Momonoke. And there are two routes that I did. So one that led up to a rock that commanded like, uh, that had a really beautiful view of the entirety of Yakushima from top down. And then the second one was an eight hour like a uh, hike. It was such a beautiful hike. It was raining all the time and just being able to see, you know, the beauty of nature in rain. Yeah, I know like, it's just like, why would you hike in rain? I know that's silly, but trust me. Like, well, no, I, I like the smell, in fact, in the forest when yes. it rains. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, you get cooler air and there is not many people around. So for people who go to Yakushima, you would recommend mm. spending the night on site? One night, two nights, or do you just do the day trip? I'm pretty sure I spent two nights there. I reached really early in the morning on the first day. Mm -hmm. I went to do the first hike that you stand on top of the rock. And then the second day, I attempted the nine-hour hike. And then the next day, I was out of Yakushima already. So I would say a minimum of two nights. You have spent so much time in Japan. You have been mm. to so many places. What remains mm. on your to-do list? I haven't been to Aomori. I definitely want to go there. I haven't been to Shikoku. I want to explore the ski resorts in Japan as well. Wing snowboarding, of course. I want to cycle the Shimanami Kaido. You didn't um, do that? I haven't done that yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I win. My, <laughs> yes. Yes. In my past life, as part of uh, Japan travel, I used to plan all these trips for customers who want to go to Shimanami Kaido and I've never been there myself. And I'm like, why yeah, it's super do popular. I do this to myself? It's very, very nice. And then, of course, no, I definitely want to try cycling the Noto Peninsula in uh, Ishikawa Prefecture as well. Mm -hmm. You can cycle past rice terrace fields and looking at gorgeous scenery. Yeah, I want to do that as well. Did you have any trouble in Japan? Something that was a bit difficult? Maybe some advice mm -hmm. you would have for people about some things you should pay attention to? I didn't really have a lot of uh, difficulty while traveling in Japan. I mean, speaking Japanese does help. But I did recall once when I took the bullet train with Satohoku. You know how usually you are able to pass through the doors to go into another carriage in the Shinkansen, right? Mm. And then for some reason, I couldn't go past the door anymore because something was blocking it. And apparently the Shinkansen split into two. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Since when the bullet trains like split into two? So I was a bit, like, I was a bit surprised. But then I realized that the Shinkansen splits uh, into two directions. Uh, one going to, I don't know, I see like well, One north and west, northwest, right? Yeah, so I didn't know that. But thank, uh, thank God that I was on the correct Shinkansen at that time. Yeah, so my advice is that if you want to travel to Tohoku region via Shinkansen, uh, by all means do it. It's a beautiful place, but just check the <laughs> Shinkansen and just, just be careful. Without thinking about trouble in particular, what travel tip would you have? For travelers from outside of Japan, I definitely would recommend, you know, researching the various train passes to see which one fits your needs. Of course, you know, it's very easy to go on the JR pass you know, because it gives you countrywide access. But if you're looking to travel just one particular region, so for example, if you want to travel just Kyushu, then definitely look at the various like train passes or bus passes that they have in Kyushu. To uh, save money, basically. To save money. If you want to research and you want like a default option, then yes, of course, the JR pass is the most uh, accessible since it takes you like around the country from like Kagoshima all the way to Hokkaido. 
one of the tips that I found was really useful in getting cheaper flight and buses is to use Japanese language site. When I was living in Japan, I would use this Japanese bus website called Sakura Kanko. I will put a link. Yeah, yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. You don't speak Japanese, ask a Japanese friend to help you. The prices can be a little bit cheaper than what's on like Wheel Express or like you know, Japan bus online. Let's move to professional questions that maybe sure. will be useful for travel agents, but also travelers at the same time, because you have been working as a travel agency department manager, right? Mm -hmm. So what's your take on luxury trips in Japan? Japan is a culture that really focuses on hospitality and you can definitely find five-star like luxury hotels and destinations and restaurants. But for an experience to be truly luxury, it really boils down to the service provided by a luxury travel agent. Mm -hmm. High-end clients have the money, they just don't have the time. They want everything to be taken care of for them. So a luxury travel agent who can give that high-end client a peace of mind that everything's taken care of for them, then yeah, personally, I think that's true luxury. Let's say an assistant of very rich guy, right? He's yeah. organizing something, but doesn't know anything about travel in general or mm. Japan. How do they identify that travel agent? Even if they already know what's important mm. is the ability to provide good service, how do they find somebody? Through word of mouth, through recommendations from friends who might be high-end clients who have like had a fantastic experience of working with a travel agent who met all of their needs. Referrals are still one of the best ways of marketing. Referrals, so yeah. What's your take on hobby trips in Japan? If you are going over to Japan to indulge in a hobby that you like, for example, cycling, let's say you tap into your network in your home country, asking them if they know anyone who specializes in executing cycling trips in Japan, mm -hmm. you know, like they might know someone. Sometimes you also find people who specialize in niche things and they put themselves on LinkedIn. Yep. Again, LinkedIn is also a very health networking tool as well. So for example, if you're looking for someone who's able to execute everything from start to end about, you know, Japanese key experiences, you can search for someone. Or if you're looking for a foreign geisha and speaks English, then approach that person directly. See if you can approach that person who is able to take you on such specialty trips and then ask for a referral to a travel agent who is able to take care of the other aspect of the trip. That person who specializes in their field cannot execute. And maybe one small piece of advice I would add would be for people to plan their trip after checking with a travel agent or expert if there is one event in Japan that takes place every year or every mm. two years. Because, for example, in Tokyo, we have so many specialized stuff going mm -hmm. on at Tokyo Big Site for like somebody who is really, really into a hobby or maybe an event, and they should go during that period so they can just go to Tokyo Big Site or to some mm. other place in Osaka or Hokkaido. What do you sure. think about low season travel in Japan? It's low for a reason. Maybe the weather is not as good or like, you know, there's just not enough holidays, days available for travelers to come to Japan. But of course, low season is when you get the best prices as well. So if you have a work schedule that allows you flexibility to travel whenever you want, then take full advantage of that and take advantage of how cheap and how inexpensive the prices can be. Japan is known to be a relatively expensive country, so you do have to set yourself a higher budget to really enjoy Japan. If I were to travel and I want to get a best experience, and I'm also at a point in my life where I can spend a bit more on better things, so like I would save that money and have a thoroughly enjoyable experience in Japan. One thing I think that's specific to Japan is mm. English is not yet very much used, let's say. That's so true. Mm. one reason 
a season might be low is because the information that's provided is provided by Japanese people in English only for the main period because oh, I expect mm. people to be interested and maybe there is additional information that would be maybe only in Japanese and there is some really cool stuff. So mm. maybe worth digging by yourself yeah. or, or using a travel agent. There are some very interesting experiences people can do. For example, you like ski, so let's say ski. Ski in spring, I think, for example, Myoko, you can go ski around the Golden Week. So in May, end of mm. April, maybe yeah. mid-May, max. So mm. if you plan a trip to see something else a bit later, you can still enjoy this kind of activities if you like them yeah. as part of the low season. But the other thing is also having less people. For example, less people. go oh. to a ski resort when it's full yeah. of people or go maybe one month later or one month before can be much more enjoyable. Mm. And I think if you look at Japanese people themselves, mm. they very often use the big period like the golden week, the mm. public holidays we have a lot. So that would be long weekends, things like this. And maybe if you go two days later or two weeks later, you will mm. be able to enjoy some place just because people in Japan don't take the uh, holidays as freely as maybe French people would do yeah. for my country, yeah. right? My last question would be, what do you think of Tokyo for vegans, people in wheelchair, travelers with kids? You already mm. told us you think the country is good, at least for the train station, for people in wheelchairs. Yeah. The case. What do you think mm. about Tokyo? Tokyo is a big metropolis. So let's just mm. talk about what's called the Nijusanku, the 23 words. If you want to go anywhere and if you have impact mobility, it's still very accessible and you can still have a very good time. And even the hotel room, many of the rooms are considerate of those who have impact mobility. They have like a wider room so that you can have a wheelchair inside. For vegans, vegetarians, what do you think? Tokyo has become a lot more accessible. I mean, being the capital of Japan grants a lot more options for those who have dietary restrictions. If you look at websites such as like Happy Cow, they list all sorts of vegetarian and vegan options available. And I think in Tokyo, there is more chances the menus will be in English too. So yes. you know exactly mm. what's vegan and what's not vegan. Exactly. More or less, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. in the countryside, uh, even if there is vegan stuff on the menu, and if unless it's a vegan restaurant, if there is vegan and non-vegan in the restaurant with the menus in the countryside, it might be a bit difficult. I would just add probably for Muslims, why vegan restaurants in many cases would be appropriate, but there are halal restaurants with beef, with chicken. But they tend to be in the famous areas like Asakusa, very touristy areas. There is a pretty famous halal cafe there. I'm just not remembering the there name. Seikai Cafe. I'm not sure if it's Seikai still Cafe, open. yes. Correct. They had yeah. two. There was one inside Asakusa area and there mm. was one east, very close to Tokyo Sky Tree. I will check and if they are still open, I will put a link in the show notes. Any place you would recommend for people with kids? Just to bring them to the theme parks. Theme parks are beautiful for a reason. And I know people mention Disneyland and Disney Sea a lot, but it is a very kid-friendly place. And it's amazing to see because you, know, you see all these Japanese families, they dress up, all of them dress up, the parents, the children, and they all dress similarly. So it's very nice <laughs> to see them like go there and just like enjoy the place. I think the Mirai Museum at Odaiba, it's the one of science and technology. It's a museum uh, of uh, innovation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So that was a fantastic place to bring our children as well. Like you just discover this technology and things like this. Well, I recommended uh, it in an episode recently about uh, Tokyo Tokyo Delicious Museum, which is a food event taking place every year. 
And I said, okay. if you're in the area, you should go see these four spots. And Milaikan was just the last thing I listed in the episode. Oh, okay, okay. I right, completely right. agreed with you. Yeah. If you really want to get a feel of your life in Japan, and if this is something you're keen to do, like cycle along the river, sometimes they have like baseball games like going on there. There are spaces for kids to run around. It's really pleasant, especially at Tamagawa River. I used to live in Sangenjaya, which is about two stops away from Shibuya. And it's a short 20-minute bike ride to the Tamagawa River. And along there, there's people playing baseball, kids playing baseball. There are spaces to run about. There are a couple of like playgrounds. Yep, it's, it's really nice. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So I think that's pretty easy to do for residents. But I would mm. warn travelers that typically when you rent a bicycle in Japan, there is only one size and it's adult size. Yeah. I would want people to plan in advance and check if there is a service travel agent or maybe uh, the local uh, tourism office or maybe the hotel where you stay where the staff could help you find mm. and have the thing ready for you. Because if you try on the day itself or one or two days before, you might just not find anything at all that fits your needs for a family. That, that is true, yeah. Uh, planning in advance is very important for family, yeah. Okay. Mm. Is there anything else we have not discussed you would like to say? Not really. I think my wish is for them to open up soon uh, specifically to like individual travelers so that we can all enjoy Japan. I want to say that many of us Singaporeans uh, are speaking for my people. Like uh, yeah, I would yeah, say that do, many do. of us, you know, we, we go there for the food, for the shopping, which is fantastic. But I recently there has been a trend of people going to, of Singaporeans going to Japan for snowboarding, which is great because I love that too. But mm -hmm. also, like, uh, if you have a chance, not just go hiking in Japan. Like, I think hiking in Japan can be so beautiful. And I wish I did a lot more hiking. Mount Aso in Kumamoto, Mount Chokai between Yamagata and Akita, I think. Uh, Ia Valley in uh, Tokushima. All these places are just worth going to. And it, it, it feels good to be able to, like, stand at the top and admire scenery. And Japan is fantastic for that. For people yeah. who live in Singapore, we can fly a lot. Fine. For people who are in France, I would just say move to Japan so you have all the freedom yeah, to yes. go enjoy all these places. Yeah, yeah. Um, For people in Singapore as well, our tallest mountain is not even a mountain, it's a hill and it's only 160 <laughs> meters. It's pathetic. <laughs> yeah, Singapore yeah. is very small compared to Japan, of course. Oh, it's, so it's very small compared the to the opportunities rest of the world. are very limited. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I thank you so you much. Yeah, and, thanks for having uh, me. When you come back to Japan, we can. Uh, meet again and maybe you can tell us about new places at that time yeah yeah definitely definitely thank you very much for having me i really enjoyed thanks jerome thank you if you enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe now to be notified about future episodes and please leave reviews on your favorite platform in the coming weeks i'll visit shodoshima island in west japan and attend the tourism expo japan in tokyo so stay tuned if you want reports including the thoughts of other professionals if you have questions or thoughts to share please email us at podcast at japantravel.com thank you for listening thanks for helping and sweet dreams of japan